John chapter 20, and let's pick up in verse 26. This is after the resurrection. And after eight days again, His disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said He to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. That must have been some encounter. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That would be us, okay? And to be honest with you, that would be a large percentage of the population of the people that have ever lived. Most people have not seen the Lord. By far most people. And most people uh, that are serving God today and following the Lord are born of His Spirit and walking with God have not seen the Lord physically. That is a future hope for us that we have, that we are looking forward to, that we're excited about. But Thomas was not there the first time when Jesus came to His disciples. For whatever reason, it doesn't tell us. He just wasn't in the same room where they were. Well, eight days later, after the Lord had left, they said, Thomas, you just missed it. The Lord was here. The resurrected Lord was here. He says, unless I see with my own eyes and touch those nail prints and touch His side where the the Spear pierced Him, I'm not going to believe. And so the Lord comes and, and appears to Him. It's like a rebuke, but at the same time, it's kind of the Lord. You know what I mean? He, he could have left Thomas hanging. He didn't leave Thomas hanging. He came back and made sure that Thomas saw him. Okay? And then he rebuked him and he says, because you see me, you believe. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. Now I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to our study in 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week we talked about trials. Last Wednesday night, I think the Lord really met with us in a great way. Amen. Speaking about the trials that we go through, that uh, we greatly rejoice if now for a season we're in, we're in trials and heaviness uh, because it's going to turn uh, out for our benefit in the end, basically. And I want us to keep reading. Speaking about, it says at the end of verse 7, that those trials, though they tried with fire, are going to be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's not a period there. Now it's speaking of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love in whom, though now you see Him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And so, we talked about that encounter in in the Gospel of John about Thomas, right? The Lord coming to Thomas. Here's the nail prints. Touch Him. Here's here's where the Spear uh, pierced me. Touch it. And then he said, Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. And it says in verse 8, Whom having not seen. This is typical. This is the normal uh, Christian you know, that's ever known God and walked with the Lord. So many people lived before He came. They didn't see Him. So many people have lived after He came. So many people lived in different places and parts of the earth. You know what I mean? And didn't physically walk with the Lord in that little span of time. But he says, Whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see Him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We can rejoice in the Lord because we by faith are able to see Him. He is real to us. People are not dying. People that die for the Lord, they're not dying for no reason. They know the Lord. They've seen the Lord. They walk with the Lord. And we have the privilege of 
walking with Jesus and knowing Him, He's just as real to us or more so than He was to the disciples. It's different. Admittedly, it's different. He's not physically there. We don't say, oh, He's over there in the backyard or He's down at the end of the street healing a blind man. He is within us. His Spirit lives within us. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus actually is in our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so though we don't see Him now, the Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. The Bible describes the Lord as being the invisible God. We know He's not literally invisible. I mean, He has a... uh, uh, he's spirit, and we worship him in spirit and truth, but he has a spiritual body. There's descriptions of him in the Bible, but he's invisible in the sense that we're gonna, we haven't seen him like he is. We're going to see the Lord. The Bible says that we'll see him and we'll know him even as we're known of him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, in that chapter on love, in chapter 13, towards the end of that passage, it says, Though now we see through a glass darkly or kind of dimly it's like a to me i picture like a real uh, uh hazy or dirty window that you're trying to peer through and you just can't get it cleaned off enough i know there's something on the other side i can see it i just can't make it out totally we know it's the lord we know his spirit's in us we know this is real from his word and that the holy ghost is saying amen 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 and bearing witness with the truth and with the word of god in our hearts okay but still, uh, we see through a glass darkly now, but it says then face to face. Now we know in part. Then we'll know Him even at, as we're known of Him. That's an amazing thing. I can't even really imagine that. I know the Lord. You know the Lord. You could say, I know the Lord. Right? You're witness to somebody and you give them your testimony. And I know the Lord and I walk with the Lord. But to know Him even as you're known of Him. That's what the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13. And so uh, that's going to be a wonderful thing and an amazing thing. And I want you to turn with me if you would. You keep your spot mark there, but turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. And let's read this together. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for But if we hope for that, we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That's basically what we're doing now. And we say, Lord, give me more patience, right? Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Praise God. It is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Because He knows that we need it. In all walks of life, everything in your life, you and I need patience. In our spiritual growth, or waiting His return, the rapture, His appearing, right? Especially if somebody's suffering a great deal. Then that heightens that even more. For patience, but it says if if you see something, if the Lord was standing right here, I wouldn't say, "Boy, I, I sure hope I see the Lord." I can't wait till I see the Lord. He's there. If you see something, you're not hoping for. You've already got it. But if we hope for what we see not, then we do with patience. Wait, and that's what we're told to do. We're told to wait with patience for that when when all of our salvation basically is finalized. There's more to our salvation. And if we're, you can turn back to 1 Peter, but it says, um, Though now you see Him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, verse 8, and full of glory. Unspeakable joy literally means it is indescribable. Okay? 
It's indescribable. It's not fully expounded. It's like it cannot be put into words. It doesn't mean you can't talk about her. It's a shame to talk about her. It's a sin to talk about. Joy unspeakable means it's beyond uh, description. Okay? And that's what we have to look forward to. It's just an amazing thing. We talk about it all the time. But everything, not everything, but almost everything for the Christian is set out in front of him or her. It's, it's the, the things that are coming are better than what we've experienced now and what we experienced yesterday and what men have experienced in the past. It's wonderful to walk with the Lord. We've been made to sit together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places now. And things like that. We're children of God. We're partakers of His divine nature now. The Holy Ghost of Almighty God lives in us now. But still, every, this world is not our home. We talked about it in Hebrews. We talked about it in this book. This epistle was written to the, the, uh, the elect that were scattered abroad. They were strangers, pilgrims, you know, scattered about. Nobody wanted them. Um, they were being persecuted. They were going through severe trials. And, but everything out there that the Lord has for us is better. You couldn't say that about anybody else. You know, a lost man, for example, you've heard this probably said before, for a lost man, let's say it's going to die lost. This is as close to heaven as he'll ever get. For a saved person that's going to die in Christ one day or be raptured, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. You know what I'm saying? We're going upward and onward to be with the Lord. It's going to be better. Uh, we're going to dwell in a new heaven and a new earth where dwells righteousness. There's not going to be nothing that makes a lie or defiles or anything is going to ever enter into it. It's going to be amazing. We can't, at least I can't totally comprehend that. We're, we're so used to the fallen world that we live in. Now Christ in us is holy, okay? But we're used to uh, the dirt, so to speak, the moral in the, the, the darkness that's all around us. We're almost, not that we're comfortable with it, but we're used to it. And uh, it's going to be light. Just picture light. Not just bright light that blinds you, but like morally light instead of darkness. It's going to be wonderful. And so uh, this is how it says, now we don't see Him now, but yet we can rejoice in Him now. With joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I want to keep reading, and I might go back and talk about some of this uh, passage a little bit a bit more together. But faith is what takes that unseen Lord and apprehends. Faith does not abide alone, if that makes sense. Faith is going to have something with it. When we study Hebrews chapter 11, it says, for by it the elders obtained. And then it started listing Joshua and, you know, Enoch and, and uh, Abel and Abraham and all the different ones. Noah. By faith, they obtained something. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. Faith, true saving faith, and I know the ladies talked about in their study in James, uh, not a dead faith, but a true living faith. Saving faith it doesn't abide alone. Guess what comes with it? Joy comes with it. You know, we're talking about joy unspeakable. And that's what he says, in whom though you see Him not yet believing, you rejoice. But the believing is the faith. And with the believing, there's things that come with it. True faith, you didn't set out and say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus so I'll be joyful. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and gave your life to Him. And coming with that true saving faith, a lot of wonderful things come to the heart and life of a believer. 
I mean, I think you never thought about the joy that would come, but I'm just simply saying it comes through faith. The faith doesn't abide alone. You have the faith, and here comes the joy unspeakable, and here comes hope to wait patiently, and things like this that the Lord um, blesses us with. It produces the love in our hearts too for the Lord. We're actually able to love the Lord back with, because the love of God, the Bible says, is shed in our, brought in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So we first, He loved us first, right? It says you love Him because, that's the cause of it. We love Him because He first loved us. And in His love, He got, so loved He gave His Son. His Son died for us and then drew us by His goodness to repentance and brought us to salvation. We give our life to Jesus. Now, the love of God is being, I think it's ongoing, being shed abroad in our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. And we can love Him back with a real love, not some uh, perverted love or something that we think is love, but it's really not. We can really love the Lord back with the love of the Lord. It's the same love He put in our hearts that shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We can love the Lord back in that way. That's a wonderful thing. And we do love Him. And we do believe in Him, though we've not seen Him. And so it says, receiving in verse 9, the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. We say, well, why is that the end? When I gave my life to Christ, my soul was saved. And that is absolutely true. But remember, we talked last week, There's salvation is this big thing. Okay, There's like, you were saved. Who can remember the date or have it written in their Bible or something the day they got born again? Well, you know, a lot of, you know, I, I don't actually remember the day. I remember where I was and my age and things like that. Summer before my uh, senior year in high school. But, you know, you say I was saved on this state, and that's totally accurate to say that. But also, salvation is like a preservation where the Lord's keeping us and delivering us. That's ongoing. He saved us today. We might not even know physically. He might have spared us from a bad wreck. We didn't even see it. We're oblivious to it. We were saved. He, he kept us from falling. You're here tonight, okay? So He kept you from going off the deep end and going back in your sin and backsliding and apostatizing, right? He kept us today. He keeps us. And, and he, there's an end of our salvation which is going to be culminated basically or the last <coughs> part of it is going to be when we receive a new body. And we see that, that happens at the same time. A lot of things happen at that time. But we're delivered this corruption, corruptible, we're put on incorruptible or incorruption. And, and so we have that to look forward. So I believe that's what he's talking about. Even the end, we're waiting, okay? Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. It's not that they weren't saved already, uh, but we're being saved, okay? We're being saved and we're, we're moving on into what God has for us. And I want to keep reading a little bit. Of which salvation... We'll read 10, 11, and 12, and we'll just see how far we can get. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, which was in these Old Testament prophets, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom... I, it was revealed, this is unto the prophets, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported among you 
by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. After that's going to come some admonitions because of this, you know, gird up the loins of your mind and walk soberly and things like this. But let's just look at this uh, for just a little bit here. It's talking about our salvation now. Okay, so verses 10, 11, and 12, especially 10, 11, are talking about our salvation. What about our salvation? This is not something that just happened out of the blue. It's like the birth of Christ. Uh, This is not some made-up religion that said, all of a sudden, like Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, when they say, oh, there He is out there in the desert. We found that He's out there. There's nothing backing that up. There were no prophecies about Jesus coming to the desert. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, when Jesus came the first time, it was a culmination and a fulfillment of everything that was promised. And it was when Adam and Eve sinned and the Lord promised the Redeemer that would crush the serpent's head or Satan's head, right? And ongoing, it just built and built and built and built and built. That's why Israel was awaiting their Messiah. They knew the Scriptures. They knew the prophecies. And so it says, this salvation, the prophets have inquired inquired and searched diligently. They prophesied and yet it was interesting to them. They were provoked. They wanted to know more. They wanted to know more. They might be given this little tidbit of information. It was a prophecy. It was accurate. It was true. It was from the Lord. It's a prophecy about the coming of the Lord. Um, and yet they, they would have one little snapshot. Like if you took a whole three-hour movie and you took out one clip, one actual frame of that film, and stuck it up there. And it shows a top of a bush or something. It's like, okay, that is part of the movie, but I don't see the whole picture by a long shot. And the next prophecy, prophet might receive more. It was true. It was accurate. It stirred their hearts. They knew it was about their Savior. They, they weren't totally in the dark, but, but then uh, they inquired and they searched diligently. When is this going to happen? How's it going to be? They wanted to know. It was in their hearts. Daniel wanted to know. Daniel wrote down. He said he he saw it and he heard it, but he didn't understand it. But it was accurate. It was right. It was from the Lord. And so he's praying for an answer and fasting and praying. And God sends... uh, Gabriel came and talked to him and Michael fought with him to help him. But anyway, he comes and he gave... Sit down. I'm going to give you some understanding. I'm going to tell you about that prophecy you got or those prophecies that you got. And so this is a picture of our salvation. So it's great. It's long awaited. This is monumental. There hasn't been a more, uh, there is no bigger event that could have happened than the first coming of Jesus Christ. Everything. I'm talking the whole life for the 33 and a half years, who he was, what he did, the fulfillment of the prophecies, how it changed the world. Even for people that aren't saved. You know what I mean? It's still changing them. They're accountable. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's made a way for them even though they haven't come yet and so forth. And so, uh, there's this in-between time. It was like, there, it talks about the suffering. Let's look at, look at verse 11. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signal... We'll go back and talk about that in a minute. Which uh, did testify beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. We take these things just for granted. 
But the fact that Christ suffered and then glory. Suffers and then glory. We see it. We see it in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What, what about Christ Jesus? What about His mind? Humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death on the cross. That was first. It's always the suffering first. Same for your life and my life. Not that the Lord's just trying to grind us under His heel and make us miserable. It's just His way. There's a suffering, uh, and He's with us in the suffering like we talked about last week. It's not needless suffering. It's not out of meanness or hatred that our God is causing us to suffer. It's the nature of how things are. And then He sets out in front of us the glory. Because Jesus humbled Himself, became a servant, even the death on the cross, the Bible says, wherefore, directly because of that, wherefore, God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, every tongue confess that He's Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's unique to Christ. I mean, His suffering, His glory, and so forth. But He says that we can be a partaker of Christ's glory. If we suffer with Him, we'll reign with Him. If we suffer with Him. If I try to go through this life and, ex- and escape all the suffering that comes directly because of my Christianity. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just try to avoid any persecution that would come from knowing Christ. Then I'm not suffering for Christ and He wants me to. He wants me to go, it says in Hebrews, and bear His reproach outside the camp. And as I go and bear His reproach outside the camp, I don't go, oh boy, today I'm going to go suffer. I just go live for God. Maybe I won't suffer that day. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll preach to ten people and ten people get saved. I ain't suffering. Maybe I preach to ten people and one of them punches me in the nose and breaks it. And maybe I get fired. Uh, maybe I get fired from my job. Maybe I get passed over for a promotion because I'm a Christian. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe the scholarship in LSU goes to someone else that's not a Christian because they are trying to be uh, diverse today, and Christians aren't aren't diverse, you know. And so you don't go looking to suffer. You look to, to stand for Christ. But in standing for Christ, we're going to suffer. And in suffering for Christ, He's saying, He's with you. Rejoice. This is not the end. God has a purpose in it. And so there is a glory that's going to be revealed, not just in Jesus, but it's going to be revealed to us and for us and in us. And it's the same glory of the Lord. Not that we're ever going to be God, but I mean, it's not some different glory. It's the glory of the Lord that's going to be uh, revealed in us that we look forward to. I just want to read this scripture. You don't have to turn there, but when uh, Jesus is sharing about the parable of the seed and the sower, and he's explaining that a little bit afterwards to his disciples, he says, verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, speaking to his disciples, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which you have heard and not heard them. So you can picture prophets. All the minor prophets in Isaiah spoke a lot about the Lord's first coming and second coming. David prophesied about the Lord's first coming. All through the Old Testament. And we don't, we don't know a whole lot about their personal lives for the most part. We know a lot about David and some of them. But it says that they, they desired, they were longing to see the Lord. They want to see what you see. They want to see... The Son of God walking through the streets of Jerusalem preaching these sermons. 
And they wanted to hear that. They were looking forward to that. It was big to them. It was important to them. And they got a glimpse of it that the Holy Ghost revealed it to them. And they wrote it down. They wrote it down accurately. And it was right. It was fulfilled. That the, that the Scripture may be fulfilled, it says in Matthew, over and over and over and over again. Matthew has more fulfilled prophecies about Christ's first coming than all the Gospels combined. It was primarily written to the Jew. And so that would speak to them and minister to them. But he says, these prophets were longing to see what you've seen and to hear the things you've heard and have not heard them. It's not a punishment. It's just it was God's plan. It was His will. They still look forward to it. Same for in Hebrews. All these died in the faith not having received the promise. They received salvation. They received a lot of blessings of the Lord and a walk with God, a relationship with God, deliverance every day. But they all died in the faith not having received the promise, this big promise about seeing the Lord face to face, saved never to sin anymore, the end of their salvation that's being spoken of here. We're closer than they were in time, okay? Plus we're living on this side of the cross. These things have been fulfilled. They were looking forward to it, looking forward to it. Show me a little more. Give me more understanding. And the Lord, whatever, you know, that's enough. It's time for you to come home and be with me now. And... Uh, but they didn't see him. We have great advantage of living where we do, when we do, and where we do. Uh, there was the prophets leading up, and they saw little bits and pieces. Then there's Christ coming. There's the cross, and then there's the, the glory. There's the suffering, then the glory, right? That comes first. And we're actually living in that in-between time where he came on the cross and died, rose again the third day, and then the glory when He returns. And in between is like a valley or a trough. And that would be where we are. So in a way, we're, those prophets were waiting on this side looking for the cross in the first coming. And then He's come, and now we're living in this area looking for, forward for His second coming. And so we're kind of like in a little valley or a trough too. That's where we're seeing through a glass darkly. But we have the Word of God. And we have the Holy Spirit. The eye has not seen, neither ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. But it doesn't just end there. It says, but the Spirit has revealed them. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So the Holy Ghost in the believer tell, takes the Word of God and the promises of God, and maybe even some things that aren't written there, just so I know that I know kind of thing. This is real. This is out here. This is for my future. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I'm going to see my Savior face to face, this uncreated God. I'm going to be with redeemed of all the ages. And I won't be tempted anymore. And I won't get a headache anymore. And I won't get the flu anymore. You know, or anything like that. I won't get laughed at, spat upon, mocked, or rejected, whatever it may be. I won't go off into sin and embarrass uh, and bring shame to the Lord and have to come back and repent. Thank the Lord we can come back and repent. But I'll, none of that will happen anymore. And we'll know Him. So just like those prophets were looking forward, we're looking forward. Okay? And I'm just so, um, again, so thankful. But when it says here, y'all, and I just thought this was interesting, back in verse uh, 11, it says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. And I was looking at that, but how was the Spirit of Christ in them? I thought that was something just at salvation. And every, all the studying that I've done, I can't say it's a lot, but 
the studying I've done on this is that we know the Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament. But evidently, it does say here the Spirit of Christ which was in them. And when I was reading some uh, commentaries, and I've got one right here, it talks about the fact that uh, I, don't, I don't need to read, but it talks. One thing it does say to us is that we know that the scriptures and the prophecies were from the Lord. You know, it's because the Spirit of Christ spoke them, so we don't have to wonder about that. And so these prophets, the Lord, just like John the Baptist, don't you remember when when uh, that was Jesus's cousin, six months older than Jesus? So Elizabeth was pregnant with. Uh, with John the Baptist the same time that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And as soon as Mary walks in with Jesus in her womb, Elizabeth's got John the Baptist in her womb. And it says that John the Baptist leapt with joy You know when Jesus entered the room, basically. And it says he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. So you know what that tells me? But God can do whatever He wants. And if He wanted His Spirit to live inside of these prophets so that they wrote exactly what He wanted them to write, they were holy men of God that spake as the Holy Ghost gave them utterance. They were holy men of God. He didn't write through some uh, godless person over there and just turn them to a robot make sure they wrote the right thing. They didn't go in a trance and didn't know what they were doing. You can even see each of their individual personalities in their writings. It's different. You see, David's writings would be different than what Moses wrote in Genesis. They can see their personalities. So they weren't like possessed, but they were holy men of God, every one that spake and wrote as the Holy Ghost gave them utterance. And so I'm just going to leave it at that. If God gives me a little more revelation of that down the road, or you, that's fine. The Bible says... The Spirit of Christ was in them. And so I'm going to take it at His Word. Take Him at His Word. The Bible says John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost when he wasn't old enough to call on Jesus or be saved or be born again or anything. The Lord knew because He's he's in His foreknowledge had a a call. John the Baptist was prophesied about as well, right? My my messenger that goes before me preparing the way of the Lord. So... I just think it's interesting, and I think it's okay, and I'm not I'm not uh, put off by it. It doesn't wreck my faith. It doesn't wreck my theology about salvation. That Christ enters our hearts when we're saved, and then only a born again person can be baptized in the Holy Ghost. It doesn't wreck any of my theology on that. I just believe this is what He said here, and He did that, and He chose to do it. He made the sun stand still one day. It's not a doctrine that He does that all the time. He did that in, in, uh, in uh, Joshua's day, right? Mm-hmm. So they could fight the Amalek. It was the Amalekites they were fighting. And so uh, that doesn't wreck me. And I'm, I'm comfortable with that. If you have some deeper insight the Lord shows me, please come and tell me. But I'm, I'm okay with that. And uh, it's just an amazing thing, this, this salvation that we have and what God's uh, called us to and what He's leading us to. And it's, it is our hope. It is our expectation. He wants us to live with that, with that hope, y'all. So I'm going to go back and, and just touch a few things on this passage. The heart of it all, the reason that we can rejoice 
with joy unspeakable and full of glory, even in the midst of the trials. What was it? What last week in verses six and seven? What were the trials of life for the believer compared to? The fire, right? We're going through the fire. Uh, it's, it's all through the Bible, the furnace of affliction. He's chosen to refine us through the furnace of affliction. Fire hurts. It's not at all comfortable, okay, to the flesh. It burns. And yet, God's with us in the midst of the fire. He was with the three Hebrews in the midst of the fire. He was there, the fourth man in the fire. And He's with us as we go through our trials. And so, the, what makes it okay is Christ Himself. It's not even just His help. It's Jesus Himself. It's the fact that I know Him. It's the fact that He's in my heart, that He's real to me. It's having the person of Christ. And if everything else was burnt up, and this house was burnt up, and everything happened just like it happened with Job, it all fell apart literally in, a, in one day, literally in a, probably in a matter of moments, the, the, the sufferings and the, the loss that He felt. And yet He sat in the, the ashes, and He had still had the Lord. Okay? And we're born again. We have Jesus. He's what makes that fire bearable. We, we, we haven't seen Him, but we love Him. We love the Lord. Okay? We love the Lord. I mean, in one sense, you could almost say, and uh, I was reading one commentary, it says that seeing the Lord physically like the disciples did, in one sense, could almost be like a hindrance to our, our walk with the Lord. Because it would have been like they had to have Him right there all the time. In other words, every time, let's say Jesus was here with us and we're one of the disciples and we knew He was the Son of God and we believed He was the Savior of the world, every time He would turn and walk out the room, you'd probably feel like empty or a loss. You know what I mean? Or I wonder if He's going to come back or anything like that, but we don't have to worry about that. He, God says it's, in, it's expedient for you that I go away. Jesus said, right? And John, it's expedient for this. Necessary that I do go away, because if I don't go away, I can't. I'm not. The Holy Ghost is not going to come, the Comforter. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. So in one sense, we don't have that. And most, like I said, by far, most Christians on the planet have never seen the Lord physically and walked with Him, and yet we love Him and we rejoice in Him. It's almost better in that sense uh, to to have have the Lord like we have the Lord. And they're gonna, we're going to see His... It says in Revelation, they shall see His face and the glory of, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 6. We're going to see the Lord and we're going to walk with the Lord and get to be with Him. And uh, He's not going to be taken from our side or anything like that. And I just thank the Lord that uh, we have His presence continually. He's always with us. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And the love and the faith, as we said, go together. The love of God, it comes with faith. You're not going to love what you don't believe in. We love the Lord. We had to first believe in Jesus. You're not going to love what's not real or anything like that. So look, turn with me if you would. And let's look at 1 John 3, 18. Okay, how are we going to love the Lord? We're going to love the Lord. And we talked about this in our, uh, one of our sermons on a healthy church. We talked about a healthy church being a serving church. Uh, one of the things we do, we're going to serve the Lord. Okay, serve the Lord. And that wasn't the only 
you know, characteristic of a healthy church. It's one of the characteristics. And he says here, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And true love for God is going to overflow into a desire to serve the Lord. And that's going to come from it. And so uh, we, we have to put the Lord first in everything. Everything's going to flow out of it. And then the joy is going to come. The joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so uh, there are times on earth, moments on earth, where the Lord gives us a little glimpse. He gives us a little taste of heaven on earth. And I thank the Lord for that. There are prayer times you've had. There are probably just moments in your life that if you think back where you felt that you really could reach out and just touch the Lord, that He was that real, that it was an amazing prayer time with the Lord, or just you felt His comfort in such an unbelievable way. He does give us little moments like that. I don't know that we necessarily live at that uh, level of intimacy or feeling or experience. Uh, uh, some people might a lot more than you or me or, or whatever. But He gives us a little taste, but still, it's still out in front of us. The real fulfillment is the salvation of our souls. It's really coming uh, and it's going to be, uh, one, of the, one of the believers says, uh, there are moments on, on heaven of, of heaven upon earth. Oh, for more of heaven on the way to heaven, he says. And one, one uh, Christian brother, his motto for life was Christ in the heart, heaven in the heart, and the heart in heaven. And that's where you need to be. It's the whole Matthew 6 about laying up your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will the heart be also. And if I get too planted here, whether it's friends or anything, nice things, just the comfort of life, uh, he want, that's one reason He doesn't let us get too comfortable. doesn't mean He doesn't bless us with nice things. He does. But He knows how much He can bless us with, I guess you'd say, without our heart getting attached to it. And so if He knows our heart's going to get attached to it, or we're going to love the world, the things of the world, even good things of the world, He's going to probably withhold it from us. Or maybe He'll let us experience it and we go through it for a while and then we repent and say, God, forgive me. This, uh, rep my reputation, my, my job, my promotion, my comfort, my money became too important to me. We're still a Christian, but it came, became too important and we left our first love somewhere along the way. It is a church that did that, right? Church of Laodicea, and he never said that they weren't Christians anymore. But along the way, they left their first love. They left. That means they were there at one time. And so we need to, uh, to guard our hearts and understand this is why I'm suffering right now. Remember we talked last week, there's three causes of suffering. It could just be uh, the world we live in and the suffering inflicted by others. Some of it could be because of our own sin. There are consequences for our sin which can be suffering, right? Uh, and then also, like, go commit a crime and you get thrown in prison for it. I mean, these things happen. It was wrong sin. It, and, and then thirdly, there's things that are directly at the hands of the Lord where He allows it to test our faith. And we're to rejoice in this. And with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the reason is Christ Himself. I said it's like, you know, personally knowing Jesus. Not even just heaven and things like that, but the Lord 
Himself, knowing the Lord that cannot be taken away from us, knowing that my Father is a good Father, knowing that He's not going to ever do something out of cruelty and meanness. He's bringing me through. He's going to bring us through all the way. And then we have, uh, we'll, we'll probably close with, with this thought back in 1 Peter. And it talks about the witness of the Spirit because it says in verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. The Lord is always, the Holy Ghost is always testifying of who? Jesus Christ specifically. The Holy Ghost is perfectly fine. I mean, think about this. There is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And it's one God in three persons. I know you've heard this before. We study the Trinity just in part in the Foundations book, right? That the Holy Ghost is no less God than the Father or the Son. And yet, it's His purpose and it's His ministry and His joy I would say, to exalt Jesus Christ. He doesn't have, we would think of an inferior, inferior uh, inferiority complex. You know, it's almost like, he doesn't. He doesn't. Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Holy Ghost needs to make much of him. And guess what? He's okay with that. It, uh, I just think it's important that we realize that. Holy Ghost witnesses to Christ and testifies of Christ. And he's, they're fine with that in each other in the way that they are. I don't understand it all perfectly. But I mean, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters in creation. The Spirit of Him that raised up Christ from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit, lives in us. On and on, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son, who through the power of the eternal Spirit, says in Hebrews, offered Himself to God. All three are mentioned right there in that one verse. The Trinity. How did Jesus give Himself on the cross? I don't get it fully. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, He did what He did and offered Himself to God. He was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies. And then it says in verse 12, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves. So these Old Testament prophets, the Holy Ghost is testifying even through the Old Testament prophets. Through the New Testament uh, apostles and so forth unto us which the gospel was preached by Peter and his and the other disciples it was preached unto them and the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into all are testifying of Christ and y'all just just in closing tonight I just want us to have the thought that if if these Old Testament prophets were so earnestly desiring they wanted to see they wanted to see remember uh, who was it, uh, Simon, that uh, got to see the Lord Jesus by the Spirit? He was brought to the temple when Jesus was being dedicated at eight days old. And it says that, oh, this is what I wanted. Simeon, I'm sorry. That and now let your servant depart in peace, you know, because I've seen the Savior of the world. You've been longing for it. And Anna was in the temple day and night, uh, just day and night waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were longing to see the Lord. And she got to see Him and hold Him uh, and be there. And so, if these Old Testament, I would liken them almost to Old Testament prophets, those two that I mentioned, and John the Baptist, they were looking forward to His coming. And we, we ought to be, and angels are desiring to look into it. And the Holy Ghost is testifying of Christ. 
we ought to be, I don't know what's the word, maybe absorbed with it more than we are. We ought to be taken with it uh, a little bit more to meditate on the Lord and to think about worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That's what's being sung in heaven. The angels are saying worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And on and on, it's the, it's the theme of the angels. It was the theme of the Old Testament prophets. It was the theme of the Gospel. The Gospel itself, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses to His resurrection. Luke says, I testify of these things. We were eyewitnesses of these, uh, these things. And so, and then for us sometimes, it's just, we take it for granted. And I don't want to just take it for granted. They were longing to see the Lord. And we're longing for His appearing. The rapture. When our vile bodies are going to be changed, it says. And and look forward to that. But I just... Um, I'm so thankful that, that we have that future. We have that to look forward to. And God wants us to be uh, taken with that. I'm going to close with that that scripture and that passage right there. But let's just take some time tonight and pray and thank the Lord. Again, it's kind of linking back to, to last week's message a little bit on Wednesday night as well about the sufferings and trials because there's a glory that's going to be revealed. And He wants us to know that. But He wants us to have the peace and the joy and the faith now. Now that this is all going to come. It's going to happen. Like Paul said, uh, when he was on that ship heading to Rome in the storm, he says, I believe it's going to be even as the Lord told me. God wants us by faith to believe. It's even going to be as He told me. He told me in His Word that faith is going to end in sight. He told me in His Word that we're going to know Him even as we're known of Him. He told me in His Word that there's a glory. If we'll suffer for the Lord now, then we're going to be a partaker of His glory on the backside of this. He told me that. And we need to believe Him and trust Him for that and rejoice now. He doesn't want us to wait and then be joyful just when we get to heaven. Jesus wrote in, I think in John chapter 16, I believe, these things I've written to you while I'm with you or spoken unto you while I'm with you that your joy may be full. That word full means crammed like a fishing net that's about to pop. That's what it means. That I want your joy to be full. He doesn't say one day when you get to heaven, your joy will be full. He says, I want your joy to be full now. That's why I'm speaking my word to you. So we stand upon His word. We believe it. We hear it. We gather together on Wednesdays. We come back for Sunday school. We come back for Sunday mornings. We come back for prayer. We go to ladies' Bible study. We're going to do ladies' retreat, men's retreat. Uh, we do all these things because His word, by His spirit, is testifying of Christ. And we're growing. And we're laying hold on it little by little by little. Some nights you can really feel like I grew tonight. Like it was a big leap in your growth. Sometimes it's just a day in, day out. And it's over a long period of time you're being strengthened and being nourished and built up. But He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to believe. Y'all stand with me tonight. Let's just worship the Lord.